Welcome to episode 98 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I wear a lot of hats in my business. A quick review of all that I do would take at least 20 minutes and you'd still miss some of the pieces of the puzzle. I wrote Croissants versus Bagels, an Amazon bestseller, which has nearly 200 reviews worldwide. I work with associations to help them create more engaging experiences for all participants, especially first-timers and those attending solo. For the last 10 years, I've spoken to a wide range of audiences about the art of the schmooze and the importance of being a host. Lately, I've been getting more opportunities to speak in front of women's leadership meetings, and I would love more of this, please. This is actually likely influenced by my ideal client being uh, an entrepreneurial woman in her 50s for my online coaching program. And I host On The Schmooze, this podcast, which you're listening to, and that's about to reach 100 episodes. So that probably was the quickest I've ever done this. Uh, it didn't take in as nearly as long as I thought, but there's a lot that I probably left out. The thing that I want you to know, though, is that there's a hook that these all hang on. And that hook that all the hats hang on is networking is a marketing strategy. This concept seems so obvious to me that I hadn't even bothered to articulate it until a conversation recently with a fellow coach. Building relationships is the lens through which I problem solve for my own business and provide advice that helps my clients thrive. Your challenge for this week, write down all the hats you wear at your job or in your business, figure out the hook they all hang on. This clarity is especially helpful if, like me, you need more than three minutes to share the impact you're having on the world when someone says, what do you do? Turn your hook into a statement that follows this kind of syntax. I help blank do blank, or I inspire blank to do blank. Try this out and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is a best-selling author, CEO, coach, consultant, speaker, podcaster, and nonprofit leader with over 25 years of experience in the business and nonprofit management world. She used her experiences from world-class international organizations to help her serve the entrepreneurial community as CEO of Ketchum Innovation Center and to help with her online coaching that focuses on strategy, productivity, and personal growth. Her current entrepreneurial project is a platform for online education, training, resources, and podcasts called MakeEverythingFun.com. She's also working on her seventh book, seven books, and has received 10 awards for the six books she's already written, which span nonfiction, self-help, and even children's books. Please join me in welcoming Catherine kemp Kiley. Thank you, Robbie. It's so fun to be here. We're going to have such a great time. Catherine, thanks so much for joining me from your office in Sun Valley, Idaho. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Just jumping right in. I want to hear um, your thoughts on leadership, and because this is a show about networking, but that's sort of lacks context. So the context here is leadership because to succeed in your field, well, I think you have to be good at relationships. So how would you define leadership and when did you realize you have the skills to lead? 
Well, I define leadership very much in action. So I'm a big person about walking your talk. I think the best kind of leadership we can provide is to be inspirational and to lead by example. And so I do that, you know, I I wear a lot of hats. Um, So I'm the head of a nonprofit. It's called Nurture, and we do nutrition education for children and families. So if I were eating fast food on the way to teaching a class telling families not to do that, that that would not be good leadership um, as an example for my CEO position at the Ketchum Innovation Center. I think it's great that I'm also an entrepreneur. It makes it hard to juggle because Mm -hmm. that's a a part-time job and an entrepreneur job can be part-time plus, plus, plus. Right, right. (laughs) But I understand the, the challenges and the fun parts of being an entrepreneur. And I think that makes me a really effective leader. So I think it's really about leading by example. Yeah, walking the walk. Like if you came in and just sort of said, this is what you should do, but I'm not doing it. Um, that I mean, people would see your example. That would be a, a different kind of leadership, leading by bad example. Uh, but you're you're right. There's this sort of uh, an action to it. Like it's not just an idea. You have it's a practice of, of leadership that makes sense. Where did this sort of first come from, though? Like, were you early on drawn to the opportunities to take on leadership? Did people see that in you and suggest it? Were you, I don't know, into the the whole like you know, class president, organizing the playground, like, like, or, or were you like on the side of the room, just sort of watching everything? I mean, it's so interesting to me how people start their process with leadership. And I've been listening a lot to your podcast lately, and it is interesting to hear about the different journeys and sort of how people grow up. I mean, we're all just, you know, we're all just kids growing up. But I would say, well, I'll, I'll be very authentic here. And I will say that when I was a kid and a teenager, I was sometimes put in leadership positions. Like I was the captain of my soccer team and I was uh, what was called a senior leader. So like instead of taking gym, I would teach gym to the freshmen. So I was put in leadership positions, but I, I actually felt I felt uncomfortable. Like I was mm. like, why did they choose me? And then it was really interesting because then I went I went to, you know, through college and then I went to graduate school and out of graduate school, I went into management consulting and I went into a, a medium-sized firm where I had the opportunity to just really rise up. I was a principal by the time I had my kids and, and actually left management consulting because I couldn't figure out a way to balance it all. Um, but I really, I, there was not a, a name for it. It wasn't at least a popular name, but when I was a leader in my firm, because I was, I think I was the youngest senior manager and certainly the youngest woman senior manager, mm. I remember feeling really uncomfortable mm. when they would introduce me like, here she is, she's the youngest senior manager in her firm. And and later when I read, this was many years later when I read Sheryl Sandberg's book and she talked about the imposter syndrome. And I, I don't know if it was just that I was pushed into situations where I didn't feel ready. I don't have it anymore, but I remember reading that book and just going, oh my gosh, that was me when I was yeah. younger and when I was in management consulting. And you know, Cheryl talks about it in, this, in her book and she paints the picture of, of being in the auditorium when, when she learned about what the imposter syndrome was. And she said, and my roommate was next to me leaning forward in her seat. Turns out that her roommate, Cheryl Sandberg's roommate, was was a speaker at our wedding. She's one of my husband's greatest friends. Oh. And she's in the book and they were both, and she's very, very successful. Both of them are, but we suffered from that early on in our career. So, uh. so not always 
comfortable in my skin yeah. as a leader, but certainly as I as I get riper into my years, yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm feeling a little more confident with that and having so many so many experiences already behind me. I so appreciate you bringing this piece up though, because I think that in some way, particularly as you you get opportunities to to take on leadership because people like see that you're good at your work and then they suddenly put you in a role where you're overseeing other people who are doing work and like that those skill sets aren't always there you know like Matt being a good manager you, you know you might have been a better peer leader than a manager <laughs> you know like people might have respected you when you're working alongside them more than they did when you had the title and you don't know how to handle that and it's not always like um, training and or, or thought process through that so then you really do feel like you're faking it and then when you become an entrepreneur and you're like trying to figure out the value what you offer, how do you name prices? I mean, I just was at a conference, um, Alan Weiss's million dollar, cons- uh, million dollar Consulting Convention. And I mean, these are really successful people, but we were sharing stories of, you know, I was like, well, how did you get started? I fell into it. It was completely by accident. Well, how did you find your first client? I don't know. Someone was like, oh, I want to hire you because you're the best executive coach I know. And they were like, right. Yes, I'm an executive coach. <laughs> and it's like, I'm talking to them, you know, 15 years later. And they are now brilliant and wonderful at their work, but their origin story always had that element of like, ah, okay, I could do that, I guess. And then like kind of making up some of it as you go and you kind of, like you said, you, you sort of lean in as, as she said, and you figure it out along the way. Um, and I think your earlier years don't necessarily indicate where you'll end up. It sounds like, you know, it's not a direct line. Um, oh my you- gosh, life is not linear. <laughs> <laughs> it's a broken road often. <laughs> so were you, uh, you said a little bit about some leadership things you did in high school. Were you also doing things in high, in a college and, in, and after that you went to business school, was it? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I want to say that when I was in college, I, well, I did like a couple of things for my sorority. I mean, nothing major. I mean, I was pretty much just focused on being a student and getting, you know, my exercise and having a life. And then I worked. So I worked for the Carter Center of of Emory University when I was in college. So I was, I was pretty serious and pretty busy. And then when I was in, in business school, it was kind of the same thing. And I went abroad when I was in business school and I did this, I actually chose UT Austin for my graduate school because they offered this abroad program where I could go talk about leadership I was sent to a, a joint venture between a U.S. company and a Mexican company. And so I, I worked. I had an American boss and I had a Mexican boss. And I'd go every day, you know, because it was at night was when I had my classes. So that was how the how it works in, in Mexico. They don't really have graduate school full time. Like that doesn't really exist. So you work and then you go to school at night. So I did that for six months and I worked for a big company there, showed up every day in my suit. And people, it took them probably like I was probably there for at least a month before people figured out that I wasn't a secretary. And I had to kind of show them that, no, we can have women executives here. Yeah. Podemos tener (laughs) como Uh, niñas y females en las posiciones muy altos. (laughs) Muy altas, I guess. My Spanish is a little bit out of practice, but um, yo podía hablar español cuando estaba allí. I think um, that those barriers are still there for some people even today. And some of it is real and like it's they're, they're structural problems. But then there's also the barriers in our head of what we think is possible for ourselves and like the limitations we have, you know, and, it's, and 
it sounds like you had a little bit of that early on. Like, what do you think, what do you think was the wake up call for you to realize like you could own your own value and your power and like what you had to give to the world? Like where, where was it gradual? Was it a person who inspired you? Was it something you read? I mean, this is a thing I think a lot of people are struggling with. Well, first of all, I want to say that I wish I knew about Amy Cuddy's work back in those days because what she has done, and I read her book, Presence, and all the science, there's like more science than you can possibly ever <laughs> digest in that book, but it really backs up her TED Talk about your body positioning, position, uh, you know, changing who you are, right? So Superwoman, you know, Wonder Woman. <laughs> I do. I break into these poses in my talks and it's always funny who knows that TED Talk and who doesn't. I tell women it's a great way to meet other women in the restroom. Oh, yeah, because we're all in there doing our Wonder Woman poses. It's, I mean, in Olympic athletes, this is just, they all use this. They've now studied that it raises your testosterone and lowers your cortisol. So those are the things that are, you know, the physiological things that are going on in our bodies that now we have the science and we have the knowledge. If I wish I had that. But you asked me if there was a a person or a thing that, that really kind of shifted my my perspective. And there was, it was my daughter. So Mm. when my daughter was born, I, and I have a daughter and I have a son and my daughter was my first child. And I remember thinking at that point, like, wow, I am now a major role model. Like, I think Uh that was when Uh I, I really stepped into like, I don't care about all this, you know, imposter syndrome or whatever. Like I'm a working mom and I have a daughter and I have, I have somebody that, you know, I really need to, to talk about leading by example and leadership. Like that's one of the most important leadership yeah. roles you can have in life. That's right. What a lasting impact too. I mean, generational impact that will have. Um, yeah. What a big, what a big, big eye. You, you set the bar really high suddenly for yourself. <laughs> You're like, I'm not sure if I'm okay. I am going all in. <laughs> so, well, yeah. I mean, you know, as a, as a parent, like yeah. life changing, right? Yeah. yeah. In ways that I, I have, um, I've like adopted the identity of, of, of being a parent in a way that I, I, I almost couldn't have foreseen, you know, it's like become such a major part of how I think of the world and think of myself. And it's, yes, it's, it's a big life-changing moment for anyone listening who is not yet a parent. It's a, out of, out of this world, wonderful thing, exhausting thing. And it also gives you a new perspective that for you really was that piece that kind of let it all, all the sort of angst about this sort of be pushed to the background a little bit. And then you found your footing. So you're doing a lot of different things today. And what I want to ask you is not so much what you do, but I want to know what do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing? And, I, and, and also is there a theme? What's the sort of, what, what holds this together in your mind, at least all these sort of disparate pieces that you're, you know, so wonderfully juggling? (laughs) Okay. So that's kind of two parts. I'll first kind of talk about um, what's so rewarding. And I had my strengths finder done last year, which I totally recommend for everybody. And whether you want to get your top five strengths, you want to get the whole spectrum, it's really, really enlightening. And it was, for me, my number one strength is learner. But what that means is that I really like to teach. <laughs> and, and I'm also a maximizer. So I like to make good things great. And I'm also futuristic. These are all my top five. So what I find so rewarding about what I'm doing today is I love I love coaching. I love teaching. I love providing mentorship. And I love looking into the future and kind of seeing like what 
how we can um, tweak things, enhance things, as Tony Robbins says, sort of shift the hinges on the door and like make it swing in a whole mm-hmm. new way. Mm-hmm. And so that is today what I'm most excited about. Yeah. And that's, that's a really important question for all of us to ask because we are complex, multifaceted human mm-hmm. beings. And I think we, I, we all hear about niches, niche down mm-hmm. into your hurt. And that's so true because it is so much easier to market to a niche. However, we as human beings are not niches or we're not, mm-hmm. you know, single, singularly focused. So for me, what I, I did is, you know, I have this nonprofit work in nutrition and I do this work at the Ketchum Innovation Center for entrepreneurs and for, for businesses and for workforce development. And then I have my entrepreneurial life, which is publishing and wellness and nutrition and entrepreneurship as well. And then I, I, I took some time, Robbie. This was not like I woke up one day and I knew the answer. It took, I kind of went into a, not physical creative um, creativity cave, but sort of like a mental, <laughs> like I'm like, I'm going to go into a creativity cave for a little while. And I, and I, um, and it's probably not even a cave. It's more like going up the lift on the mountain. Cause I had to zoom out and I had to say like, mm. these are all the things that I have going on. And like, what are some of the things that bring them all together? And it took a lot of a lot of um, questioning and discussions and, you know, asking other people because sometimes you can't read the label from the inside. Um, And so it really ended up being that I'm all about avoiding entrepreneur burnout, which I deal with all the time. And how do you do that? You find the fun. Mm. And I think we hear about passion and we hear about purpose and that's all part of it too. But what I hear more than anything is that, if this could just be a little bit more fun, yeah. I would stick with it. And so, and I'm not talking, Robbie, about like taking out the trash being fun. I'm talking about the things that we spend a lot of time on. So with nutrition, we're making, you know, you know, as a parent, like before you maybe were thinking about food a couple times a day, maybe three meals, two snacks at the most. Well, when you're a parent, you're like, food is like always an issue. Like, <laughs> have you packed it? Have you remembered it? That? So Nutrition becomes something that we spend a lot of time on. If we're aspiring authors, we have to make that fun. If we're podcasting, we have to make that fun. So really all of my businesses are around the things that you would be spending a lot of time on and how to avoid pain and make it more fun so that ultimately you stick with it. Right. Because if there's a friction in trying to do the thing, even if you have a passion for it, if there's too much friction and it's like, ugh, ugh, you know, you're up against a challenge over and over again and you start getting like down about it and whatever it initially sort of sparked that interest or that excitement, it wanes and you just can't keep going. Like it has to have some joy. There has to be fun in there. Um, and a lot of it is usually the people you surround yourself with, right? Like there's, there's that piece. Like, you know, a lot of these it can be very solitary activities. So being in a community of writers could be really helpful if you're writing books because like people can, you know, give you a little like, oh yeah, good job. You know, you wrote another chapter or it's off the editor, you know, and you can sort of celebrate all these many successes. I think it's so hard for creative people is they're often being creative in a more solitary way. And sometimes when they hit a hard spot, like they just don't have anything. There's nothing fun about that. Um, and they don't have anyone around them to kind of give them perspective. I love this imagery you just had, not so much the cave, but just getting up the mountain and like going on a ski lift because it is a zooming out process. Um, now, you and I have the shared 
you know, multifaceted interests, you know, more uh, ambition than time kind of thing in common. Um, and other people, it may not be as striking, um, at least on the surface, but if you dig down to what they're truly passionate about and where they want to be putting their time and energy, and it could be reading, it could, you know, could be exercising it more, it could be like more time with their kids, more time with their dog, you know, just finding ways to do that. It sounds like if you can weave in fun to all those things, then you will actually find that in all your life's experiences, maybe not taking out the trash, but lots of other <laughs> life experiences. Am I, is, am I on the right path with you? You're on the right path. And you, and you mentioned a really important word back uh, just a little bit, and that was the word friction. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of times that especially parents and in particular moms, we have this mom guilt. And so we think that like our professional life needs to be you know, kind of in this little container over here. And then there's a line and then we have our nurturing, you know, the home, the, the meals, the kids, the, the spouse, all that. And what I try to do with my work and with making everything fun is, is I try to, to alleviate some of that mom guilt by saying there are so many ways that you can involve your family and your kids in what you're doing professionally. And, you know, Mm -hmm. my first book had a lot of stories about my kids in it and they were definitely part of it. And my daughter, you know, had to like approve it before it was like published. And, um, but my second book, which is the children's picture book about eating a rainbow, that was when my son was changing schools and we, we decided that he was going to be homeschooled for six Mm -hmm. months. Like you imagine me with my three jobs, I homeschooled my son for six months, but it was such an incredible time because I, we were going back to strengths a little bit. Like I really allowed him to lead me to Mm. what he wanted to do. And, um, we went to Costa Rica and we spoke Spanish and, um, we spent a lot of time with art and we worked with a art teacher and she said, you know, I really think that you could do a book because she knew that it was always a passion of mine with my nurture work to have something I could leave behind at the schools. Like I teach the kids about eating vegetables and the teachers are like, yay, that works for about a week. And then the kids forget, uh, right? Cause they love when yeah, you come, yeah. I can't go every week. And so I wanted to leave something behind. So it's always been this, like, like this kind of gaping um, hole in myself, like, Oh, I wish I could do that. And then there I was with my son spending all this time thinking that I was taking away from my profession and that I didn't even know until I looked back on this period of my life that I was actually nurturing my son. We were mm. following his passion. And then I figured out a way so that we could all work on a family project together, which was enormously successful. Like I got to launch that book at the Book Expo of America wow. in Chicago. Like it was wow. a huge, and he was on ABC. He was, he was on radio. So it was, it was what like a this cool really, experience. It was just, I guess what I'm trying to say is that is that this mom guilt, this I'm not having fun thing can often, my, my boss in consulting used to say, sometimes two problems make one solution. Mm-hmm. So that's just an example of mm-hmm. like how you can integrate your family life and your work life and not keep them so siloed. I know you said you've been listening to some of the shows uh, and I love that you've been listening. Have you, uh, did you catch the one uh, Boss Mom, uh, Dana Malstaff? Uh, yes. Yes. She's, she's amazing. Well, yes. It was a really fun conversation and she's created an entire community just because this, this mom guilt piece, it, no matter how you've sort of structured your career, um, home, it, it she's not like particular, she's agnostic about what you decide to do, but just that you are doing it because you are doing it. Like you've chosen this. 
and go for it. You know, a lot of really positive support because I think there's a lot of negativity, a lot of comparisons usually. And so this is a space where she wanted it to be a, like, you do you, like go for it. And like, we're all going to help you and support you. And I, I think we need spaces like that. That goes back to wanting to be around the right kind of people who are going to like let you kind of follow your path. Was there a particular challenge for you as you sort of morphed your career? Was there like a sticking point? And was it like maybe it was psychological? Maybe it was like technical skills level? You know, what what was sort of the piece that you're like, I really had to work at this to, to like jump forward? There's been so many sticking points. It's so hard for me to choose. Um, but I will... I'll actually bring up two examples like, so I can paint the picture. And they're both examples that include my children. So when, my, um, when I was pregnant with my daughter and right after she was born, I was on an, inter- on an international project. I was working with a company and we had um, locations in Canada, North America, well, same thing, but US, um, Latin America, Europe, Asia Pacific. So you can imagine I was working 24 hours a day. Yeah. And all the time zones. Yes. <laughs> <what it> feels <laughs> like. <laughs> and so it was, it was a really great client. I love the people that I was working with, but it was really demanding. And so um, I hired a nanny and I was trying to do a lot of my work from home so I could see her because she was really little. And um, I remember this day when like, I don't know why the nanny just, she just like couldn't control her or something. And like, she was, she was like crying and like reaching her little tiny, beautiful fingers under my office door, like literally like reaching for me. And I was on a conference call, like muting, you know, the, all the people from all the different parts. And I'm just like, like, this is not working. Like this, Mm -hmm. this is just not compatible. And then I had another experience when I was pregnant with my son where I had two all nighters with my big, huge belly up against the desk. And, um, and I just said, this, this isn't what, what works. So I think there are some, and how I, how did I get past it? I mean, this isn't, this isn't for everybody because I just, I, I took a full leap. I just stopped management consulting. And at that point I really needed to, and I think people can do this when they're at, when they're stuck is they can go back to their inner child Mm. And they can remember like what they used to love to do. And it goes back to that fun and mm-hmm. that being the ultimate like um, sustainable fuel that never runs out. And I was like, you know what? I used to love hanging out at the Chicago Medical School and bugging the scientists about nutrition projects. Uh-huh. And like, it sounds really, really weird, but my dad was a biochemist. And, and so that was, that sort of led me into this career that allowed me to integrate my family into what I was doing mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I started this nonprofit. I did have to take five years to go back to school for my certification in nutritional counseling. But I, over then the next 10 years, built this um, really wonderful nonprofit. And my kids would come to the classes with me when we were teaching at social service agencies and, and uh, religious institutions. We would, I'd bring the kids along and they would they, you know, they would hang out with the other kids. And a lot of times we were working with low-income families. So for me, it was, it was just a, it was a great um, opportunity for expanding everybody's perspective and, mm. and just um, building a lot of gratitude and appreciation every day. I mean, yeah, appreciation is the way through the messy middle. Yeah, it really is. Gratitude, gratitude is, uh, is a, also another sort of great thing to keep in mind as leaders, you know, and I think kind of keeps our perspective as well. Um, you know, I'm going to switch gears slightly here because I want to make sure we weave into the piece about networking. Um, and I don't know, networking has sort of such a negative connotation to it. So 
I'm talking about building connections and building relationships. In particular, I'm thinking you've met probably a ton of people. I mean, you're a great person. You're, you know, you're very social and you're in so many different sort of different spheres and worlds and they have some overlap, but not a lot. And so you're constantly meeting interesting people. Do you have any kind of practice or habit around how you stay in touch with those people? Like, nurture or sustain those connections and i don't mean your like closest connections i sort of mean like the next layer out the like people that you're like oh they were great i don't i'm not working with them currently but like i thought they were really awesome what's your sort of thoughts on that well my first piece of advice is that always be open to making a connection at any point robbie where i meet the coolest people is on the chairlifts Ah. So, and it's about your mindset. It's about like, you know, you're not just like there to be quiet and, oh my gosh, there's somebody sitting next to me. They don't know me and I don't know them. It's about, you know, hey, how's your day? Have you skied anywhere? Is it cool? I mean, I don't spend that much time skiing, but I try to get out a lot. I just go for short periods of time and I use that time if, unless I'm skiing with a big group. But if, if it's two of us and somebody else is on the chair, I always start a conversation. And guess what? I, I, you know, if it's, if it's interesting and I can offer something of value to them, then we exchange, and this is the, going to the follow-up part, I, we exchange information and within the next day or two, I send them a note. So nice to meet you on the chairlift. And this does it for people that are like, wait a minute, I don't ski. This could be when you're on the plane. When, anytime you're in a situation, again, you never know when you're going to meet somebody really cool. And I think we probably have passed by hundreds of people, if not thousands of people in our lifetime that could have just been incredible connections. So when it comes to networking, my number one advice is to always be open and then to, to follow up. So when I, um, my coaching and my, my more program is geared towards entrepreneurial women. And it's because I want them to have the mindset that you now have, right. Which is to, to be open to the possibilities and opportunities in the world around you, not just at major conferences, which, you know, clearly we should all be getting our game on for that, but in these little moments and then having the systems, the wherewithal and the skills to actually act on them. Because some people would have a nice conversation, you know, with social and outgoing. And so we'll chat, but then you wouldn't think to write a note or you'd write a note, but like, then you'd completely forget that they'd be completely out of their mind. Do you ever think of ways to sort of loop back? And I don't, maybe not this, not just a random connection like that, but maybe people you meet and you've, you've kind of chatted with, maybe they're in your, one of your circles, those outer layers. Do you host dinners or gatherings or salons or like stay in touch through social media or do you write them like letters the old fashioned way? I mean, <laughs> pigeons, like <laughs> what, are you, what are your methods to, to the ways you stay in touch with people these days? Well, and I have to say the last conference I went to was not long ago. It was only a couple of weeks and I went to Telluride, Colorado, Colorado for a fabulous conference. And I packed your book, Robbie, not uh-huh. because I hadn't read it, but because I wanted it to remind me of the importance of being that croissant, of being open. And I think an actionable advice that I could give to listeners is that it's not just about the like four days or whatever it is, your conferences. You have to think about the conference as being a, a slightly larger time commitment than just the days that you're there. What I'm finding is that conference organizers today are so great at creating, you know, Google Docs, shared documents so that like this last conference that I was at, 
you know, we had, we, we not only had everybody's contact information, but we had a matrix of expertise Oof. across the several hundred wow. people. So that way all of us, and it was all, so how cool is that? So if you are involved with conferences, think about doing that your next time so that everybody yeah. leaves and all the different topics of interest that people, you know, had at the conference, there's a little matrix. So if you want to talk to somebody about co-working in a mountain town, these are the two dozen people that you might want to yeah. start with. And so, so that is a really great tool and I'm using it a lot. That's awesome. And I think that you're part of what you're getting at also is that you build in a little bit of time before the event to do some sort of, you know, preparation research, you know, mindset around what you want. And then you also have some time built in after to make use of this matrix and, you know, all those stacks of business cards, <laughs> which, are, you know, people come back to their office with really good intentions and put them next to their keyboard and, eventually move them to a drawer and then eventually recycle them and <laughs> go out and get more business cards because it's just like this vicious, exhausting cycle for most people. Um, but it sounds like you've conquered that a little bit. And I thought of something else because I was just doing this. I was going through the list of people that I met at the conference and I was thinking of all the parents of young children that I met there. Mm. And this is just a, a generosity thing. And I know, Robbie, you've got a lot of authors that are your audience and your tribe. And I want to emphasize the importance of being really generous with your book. I love buying people's books and supporting them. But I also think that if you know something about a person and you think, oh, you know, maybe my book would hit a sweet spot, you know, not, write them a nice note. That is the old fashioned way. Yes. Um, put it in an, an envelope and send that um, off to them. I think that is so powerful. And, um, I have books on different things. So I really, I don't send somebody just a generic thing. And I, I really try to think about, you know, if, if they're a parent, this might be something that they're struggling with. Or mm. a couple of people told me they wanted to write a book. So I'll send them my book about publishing. So that's another thing, you know, for your audience that's, that's into writing and mm -hmm. publishing, that book becomes a way that you can be really generous with the world. And, and, and people don't forget that kind of thing. Um, I'm looking for a book right now I have right here um, by Chip Bell. Uh, Chip Bell has a book called Sprinkles, Creating Awesome Experiences Through Innovative Service. And I had the opportunity to hear him speak earlier today. Um, and he calls what you just did uh, value unique. So it's Ooh. not just adding value because if you add value, people just want more value. You add more value and then you add more value and then they want more value and they expect more value. And you get to a point where you're exhausted and you're like, you reach the end of the, the road there. But he says it's the value unique, which I think is so awesome. And it's sort of that there's just a, a, a spin. So like sending a, a book that's personalized and has a little note and was based on a conversation you had, like that's going to stand out. I mean, that in particularly today where we're constantly, you know, all we do is we send a LinkedIn request and we forget about them. Like they're not going to forget about it. If you send a physical book, they're just, they're never going to throw it away <laughs> because people don't throw away books and they'll be reminded of you and they may pass it along. And it's just, it's so smart to think about what assets do you have? And so for me, I've been giving away all these masterclasses that I did. And so I'm at the conference and someone says, Oh, I'm thinking about hosting a podcast. Oh, that's cool. What do you think you're doing it on? And then I go, Oh, by the way, I, I do a masterclass on, should I host a podcast, which has got all the steps and all the resources? Oh, no, it's free. Just go ahead. Go check it out. RobbieSimons.com slash masterclass. Oh, and by the way, there's a few others there if you're you know, interested. And they're like, what? <laughs> and the thing is, I did it once. I had a lot of fun with it. I had an engaging conversation with the people who were there live. And then the replay is something that I can gift. And 
it strikes the right tone. It's exactly what they're looking for. It's resource rich. And whether they work with me or not is not the point. It's that I have developed a connection. So it's really smart to think about the assets you have that you can offer pretty freely. I want to ask another question about about this sort of idea of network though, because I've been thinking a lot about um, what steps can be taken to sort of diversify a network. And I think yours is probably, I'm guessing, fairly diverse in the sense that you have all these different spheres that you <laughs> you're in all the time. So how conscious are you about, and I mean diversity in like as broad a spectrum as you can imagine for that, but how how conscious are you about making sure that that continues to be true? And and are you doing things that kind of help introduce people from one walk of life to the other? And or do you sort of think of these as separate places in your brain? Like, like how do you operate in that space? Well, I have to say, in as my role as the CEO of the Ketchum Innovation Center, I mean, we are the hub of entrepreneurial and existing businesses in the Sun Valley region. And so I would say one of my key jobs as the CEO is to constantly be thinking as I'm talking to somebody, who can I connect them to? How can I help mm-hmm. them with this connection? I mean, that is that's like what I do all day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, in some ways that's, um, that's just part of, of like the fabric of my everyday life is, mm-hmm. is, is being in that mindset of when I hear of somebody, how can I help them with, with a connection? And I think that that is, that that is, if we are, if we were to all do that, I yeah. mean, think about that whole six degrees of separation. Like we would, then we would all, all the resources would, or at least intellectual capital resources would line up at the times that we need them. So Mm -hmm. I'm very much in that space and I'm on, Mm -hmm. and I, and I try to bring that to anything that I do online as well. I, I, like you have your master classes. I so prefer, you know, a smaller, like, you know, maybe 25, 30 to opposed to like a hundred plus people because mm-hmm. then you can really get to know people even during a masterclass. If you have it mm-hmm. on zoom, people can chat and they can raise their hand. And, and then afterwards, it's not just about that class. Yes, you can. And I love, I love your masterclasses about how you can do the, you can package them again with the replay, but also the people that are there for that live experience, yeah. they become the people that you can really help. And you know what? That's a benefit for those people that show up live. Right. Right. Exactly. And I've, I've even started thinking um, that I might do some of them sort of on repeat because the live experience was so great. Um, like I did one on book launch strategies, and I'm thinking I might do one that's very similar, but about relaunches because a lot of people they published, but they didn't really launch. And so they just didn't, they didn't really even think about that as a thing. Um, whether they were traditionally published or self-published, they just sort of didn't get all the pieces in place. They were busy and they're like, oh, I could redo that. And I'm like, yeah, you could go through all the steps and then kind of breathe new life into it. But I'm thinking, oh, like that would be a really fun way to kind of engage with a lot of people in my network who have already written books. Right? We're all trying to figure out ways to support each other. And that would be for me, like it's just a great conversation to have. And the content's already created. So it's not like, a lot of extra effort. Um, so little things like that you can tweak, right? Like there's lots of ways to engage people in smaller groups. They have a time to connect with each other. Um, how do you think about like the concept of this? Uh, like I want to write a book about the importance of diversity in our networks and like how people go about that. And you're talking about in a sense of networking and, and I guess making introductions. Do you, do you ever talk to your entrepreneurs about this being something they should do? And do you, do you have a reason for why they should do it? 
we're all about the lean launch model. So it's really about customer discovery before we do anything. And so we do a lot of Google forms and finding out what people are looking for. And a lot of people are looking for networking. So then what we do is we create, and yes, to, to answer your question, yes, we do this. And and we do it, we find that people like to, to network in in different ways. So like we have a women's entrepreneur group and it's just women. And at one point we, and so that's a lot of networking because women love to network. Mm-hmm. And we, at one point we said, well, can we invite the boys? Cause we're having so much fun. And then they went, no, 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 because we're actually talking about things that we might not bring up. We love you boys, but you know, it's just the way it is. And so I think that, yes, that needs to be part of our, our everyday conversations is that networking has to be part of something that we're doing all the time. And I think there's a place for like vertical networking, like Mm. all the people that are in PR might want to network in a certain way. But then there's, you know, to talk about diversity, then there's, you know, gender networking, there's, you know, cross industry networking. And like what I was just doing the other week was this geographic networking. It was people doing the same things in similar locations. We were all Mm. from mountain towns. Mm -hmm. So I think you just have to think about networking and like, I don't know if it's like a, a matrix or something, but there's some kind of way of looking at it and whether it's verticals or whether it's um, different slices of, of like the same pie, I guess. What is the tool that it's a oh, Prezi? Do you know Prezi? Like, oh yeah. It, yeah. It, what you were just talking about made me think of Prezi and how you can like, you can zoom out and see like the whole landscape. And then you kind of like, there's a word and has an O and then like you zoom into the O and you like dig deep into that vertical. And then, but then you're like, Oh, I can't just stay here. <laughs> I have to zoom back out and like kind of like see what's going on in my entire landscape and then maybe go over over here and like check in a little bit. And I think, you know, that that's a nurture concept of needing to kind of check in at all your different groups and sometimes bring them together and sometimes stay with one. And I think it's a consciousness. Most people are probably not kind of stepping back enough that that mountaintop view to see what their world is even and take that sort of assessment and see, you know, where, where, where are the strengths they have and where do they maybe need to kind of put a little more effort. Um, so I, you know, you're, you're in that mode because you're working with other people who are trying to do this and start businesses and grow businesses. So it's definitely very thoughtful in the beginning, particularly in a lean model. It's got to be responsive to what customers want. I think everyone should learn a little bit from that because, you know, creating even an, even like creating an online course without any input and then being, ta-da, it's here. And people are like, ah, uh, it wasn't really what I wanted to buy. <laughs> it's like, well, six months gone. You know, <laughs> like let's all learn to, you know, find new models <laughs> so that we're not uh, spinning our wheels and trying to, you know, figure things out in a vacuum. So I want to give you a chance to give your thoughts and then I'm going to give you another wrap-up question because this has been so much fun and I got to keep an eye on the clock because I feel like Catherine, you can, I can talk all day. I know. Well, you'll just have to come out to Sun Valley and we'll have to do an event. I mean, that's another, I have to say, that's one of my other secret little tricks is that I have this really great location where um, I can always intrigue people with the idea of, of coming out this way. And I do think that anyone, whether you like snow or you like alpine lakes and hiking mm. and biking or whatever, there's, or you just like being in quiet, there's places you can go and digitally detox because there's no cell phone coverage. But, um, but that's another one of my little secret weapons is that I have this little um, resort community that I live in yeah, and, yeah. and having the Ketchum Innovation Center and the ability to, to have events there, um, my, my arms are open. 
That's awesome. Well, people should make note of that because Sun Valley sounds like a just beautiful place to visit. Um, I want to know if we have a chance to actually have this conversation, right? A year from now, we're having a check-in and hopefully we're doing this in person and we are celebrating all of the successes that you've had in the previous year. I want to know what are we going to be celebrating? What are you looking forward to? So, okay. Um, Because I have so many things going on, I'm going to have to pick a couple. So I'm going to start with my family because I was talking about... So um, my daughter will have gotten into school by then. She'll know where she wants to go to school. She'll be happy. She'll be content. She'll be secure. Um, My son will be in school and happy and the the home will be, you know, stable and I'll still be cooking and nurturing for my family while being a professional woman and, and really managing proactively that mom guilt. Right. And, (laughs) and I think I'd love to be helping more women with that mom guilt. How can we, how can we embrace our professional incredible selves that are so powerful and can make such a difference in the world and also, you know, parenting is like, you know, 18 years plus, right? So Mm -hmm. how can we balance that, um, that transition back to when our kids are finally flying the nest that we're kind of ready. So that's one thing. And the other thing is with the Ketchup Innovation Center, we're actually um, moving locations and the new location is not announced yet, but it is beautiful. It incorporates a beautiful mountain setting and it's right in the middle of downtown, right? Um, looking at the ski mountain. So I hope a year from now we will be talking about the incredible buzz, excitement, events, the connections, the networking, mm. the community, the leadership events, all the things that are going on there because it's the place to be. And um, that would be something to celebrate. That would be something to celebrate. I can't wait to hear all the updates. It's so exciting. Um, thank you so much, Catherine, for joining us and having this conversation. It's been really, really wonderful. And can I offer a gift? Oh, and I want to also know where people can find you and follow. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Include all of that. <laughs> okay. No. So my my umbrella website, because we we're talking about how multifaceted. So I, I have an umbrella website at makeeverythingfun.com. But I'm going to do something at makeeverythingfun.com slash Robbie. That's special because I know Robbie's got a diverse audience for sure, but I know a lot of women um, around my age actually are, are coming to Robbie and they're thinking about, you know, starting a book or a podcast and then really getting back into that. And my last book that I, my sixth book that I published was called Make Nutrition Fun. And it's a great example of, you know, my family getting integrated into my professional life. And it's got a lot of examples of lead magnets in there. Mm. And I talked about generosity. So if you go to that link, I'm going to include the full um, copy or the full book, full manuscript wow. of Make Nutrition Fun. And and um, even, if you're, even if you're a dad, I think you'll enjoy it because there's yeah. a lot of great advice in there. But um, it's really so, sort of for the moms um, around my age. So I hope that that people will enjoy that gift. Excellent. Well, we're also going to have a couple other links to, to all the stuff that you're doing in the world um, so people can find you in social media. Uh, we've got your Twitter and your LinkedIn and your makeeverythingfun.com uh, slash Robbie. People should definitely check that out. Um, you should also know that if you go to her page, you're going to find out that she's got a couple of podcasts. You can listen to her. Um, you've got you've got a lot of different places. <laughs> this is awesome. And I, I hope that people do sort of dig in and check out those different resources. Um, and look for your seventh book, which is fantastic. What's the title of the seventh book? I don't know yet. <laughs> uh, that is, it's, that's an awesome title. I think. It's yes, I have well. no idea. <laughs> 
Well, when you check back, we'll have to have you come back to talk about that as well. All right. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Catherine. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 98. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources for today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Catherine, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.